Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Trupanion is proud to sponsor Pure Dog Talk. In uncertain times like these, it's more important than ever to make sure your pet is protected. The Trupanion policy provides medical insurance for pets, helping to cover the cost of unexpected veterinary bills. They also have a program just for breeders, so you can send your puppies home covered. Their special offer waives the waiting periods for your buyers, so the coverage goes into effect immediately. Trupanion is here to help provide peace of mind for both you and your buyers. The Breeder Support Program is free for breeders to join, so get started today. You can follow the link on my website, puredogtalk.com, and don't forget to mention Pure Dog Talk sent you. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and following up on our rare breed month that we had all of April, I'm picking up some more breeds to share with you guys that are really fun and interesting. Also following up on our conversation with Embark last week about the Fox I3 gene that causes hairlessness. So we have a hairless breed to share with you. And we have guests who are going to talk about Sholos. And I'm not even going to try to go to the full extent. I'm going to leave this to my specialists. Sholo Exquintly, Gio, tell me, is that right? Yes, it is right. Show it squintly, but I think it's easier to call it Sholo. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Gio, I'd like you to introduce yourself and a little bit of your background in the breed. Okay, so my name's Gio. Well, Giovanna Suedan, I'm from Mexico, but everybody knows me as Gio. I've been in the breed since I was 12. That was around 17 years ago. I was going to say six minutes ago, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I started as a pet owner only. I had a dog. Unfortunately, I had no idea where I got my dog from. It was from a puppy mill, so it died right away. Mm. And since then, I got like really obsessed in knowing the background of the breed and getting involved with the breeders, getting to know the breed more. And eventually, I just got addicted to the breed, and now I'm Sholoholic, and I became a breeder myself, and I'm just in love with them. They're amazing. I love that. Sholoholic. That is new. <laughs> that, I'm going to tell you, you just debuted a word on my podcast. Uh, <laughs> and Barb Griffin, you're 411. Share with us a little bit of your background and what brought you to Sholos, because I met you a million years ago with Irish Wolfhounds. Right. I'm Barbara Griffin. And I started in dogs as a small child with chihuahuas. We had toy breeds, went through several of them as I was growing up. And then I wanted to compete in obedience, so I got a golden retriever. Got totally hooked, bred and showed goldens for 33 years. Lost my last one two years ago. And ran into Irish wolfhounds and was totally smitten. And I had... Irish Wolfhounds from 1980 until two years ago. Mm-hmm. Bred two litters, showed, competed in obedience. Wanted a small house dog, 
and had read about Sholos and seen some, a couple of poor quality mixes, fell in love with the breed, rescued one. That was Quixote. That was in 2000. Quixote had all kinds of issues. He'd been badly abused to the point of broken bones. His ribs had been broken off his spine, breaks in his mm. hips. Very, very vicious, terrified. He ended up retiring with 61 agility trials, a certified therapy dog, a CGC. Obedience was not his thing. He was very spoiled. He is the reason that the Show Lewis Wheatley is in AKC. I wrote the registry, which got the breed into AKC, and it was combined with the now National Club's registry. I turned in close to 900 dogs, 634 with three generation pedigrees. So because of Quixote, and because I was told that I couldn't do anything with him because he was just a rescue, Sholos are now in AKC. I am totally smitten with and hooked on the breed. I compete in agility. That is my absolute heart. Quixote was the first Sholo to make the AKC agility invitational. And Balche, who was my first Sholo show dog, also was invited to the Invitational for five years. I am totally hooked. I show in confirmation, obedience, rally, have done barn hunt. My current coded boy got the first farm dog title. So I am beyond hooked on this breed. And that's the first first Sholo. Right. I think it's really interesting because you just mentioned the coded dog. And this is one of the things that fascinates me about the breed is they come in two coats, right? With and without and three sizes. So Barb, do you want to speak to that? And then Gio, I'm going to have you speak a little bit to the history and how they kind of came into existence to start with. So we're going to start with Barb. Okay. Sholos do come in three sizes. We have two categories. We have FCI, which is the international venue, and then we are now in AKC. In the majority of the world, the small ones are toys. They are 10 to 14 inches. The intermediate ones are called intermediates, the miniature size in AKC. They are 14 to 18 inches, and our standards are 18 to 23 inches. They can go an inch over, so they can go up to 24. After that, it's a DQ. So they cannot be under 10 or over 24. They come in two coats. We have our hairless, because it's a hairless breed. That hairless gene is dominant. And Gio's done a bunch of work on that. So I'll have her talk more about it after I give a quick overview. You do get coateds in your litters. You can breed two hairless. The hairlessness is a dominant gene. I just saw some pictures of hairless Sharpays. I've seen a hairless French bulldog. With the hairless Sharpays, they showed also a litter of hairless Weimaraners. So it is a dominant gene. You can get the confirmation of one, but it's hairless. If you breed hairless to hairless, you can get 100% coated. You can get some coated, some hairless. If you breed coated, to coated, you get 100% coated. Interesting. And 
coated have full dentition. Hairless do not have full dentition. The best I have gotten is my dog named Quetzal, who I just recently lost. He was missing one canine. He had all of his premolars, beautiful scissors bite, and that's the best I have gotten as far as dentition. So, Gio, I'll turn over the hairless coated thing to you. Yes, I would love to, Gio, hear from you. Like I said, I just did an interview with one of the co-founders of Embark talking about this particular gene, and it was fascinating from the science end of it that I would love to hear your input, like I say, from a breeder end of it, from your research into the history of the breed. Well, as Barbara said, the gene is dominant, so it doesn't matter if you breed to another breed, you can get hairless. Not any time, it's also a matter of luck, because one thing is theory, it always says that you're going to get three hairless and one coated, but in reality, you can get all coated. But it's funny because people are abusing of this gene. So I met this guy who had a German Shepherd and a Sholo. And he told me, I breed them together. The hairless are Sholos and the coated are German Shepherds. And I'm like, no, they're mixes. Nope, they're not. So that was the way of thinking of this guy. And like him, I found many people that do that. And it's very interesting because the gene is so dominant that People actually believe that hairlessness is the only characteristic of the breed, and it's not. So this has been really interesting. I've seen lots of hairless mixes. I was working with a rescue, and he had a bull terrier sholo mix. And it was a bull terrier, just hairless. And with the coated, yeah. That's unappealing to me. <laughs> with the coated, you can get any kind of coat. Oh, interesting. I've only seen that short, hard coat. want a short, harsh coat. They do not have an undercoat. You can get, and I will send some pictures to show a variety of different coats. Gio can probably do the same thing. My first standard, there were two coated females. They looked like Australian shepherd mixes. Hmm. Fluffy? Oh, yeah, like a golden retriever, but fluffier. Mm. You can get a coat that looks like a bearded collie. Mm. You can get a coat that looks like a rough coat Jack Russell. I have a picture of one of my boys with his two litter mates. Two are hairless. I was very tempted on the coated female because she looks like a little toy border collie. And I thought it'd be so fun to run her in agility because she looks just like a little border collie. And she, out of beautiful, beautiful award-winning lines, but that crops up. It's not a correct coat. Right. So, Gio, talk a little bit about the history, because this mutation that has come up in this gene, and we had a long conversation about it earlier last week in that recording with Embark, but talk about your understanding and your research into the history of the breed and how this kind of happened. Well, actually, I think it's very interesting because for a long time, coats were actually seen as impure. So you see the hairless, but you don't know how the coated siblings look like. Mm. So that's why years later, we see coats that just appear and have like long hair or don't look like sholos. So I think that's because we only selected and worked with one variety. 
it right. didn't work with the codes. So in the beginning, I think it was the early 50s, they rescued a few sholos and they did some crossbreedings to increase the numbers. So that's why at first they were saying, okay, the Kothids are kind of more like the outcross parent. Mm. So for many years, that was the idea. That Kothids were, they would call them the salto atrás. It means jump backward. Interesting. Saying like, looks like the parent that's not Sholo. And so the breed is very, very old in South America and Mexico, correct? Yes. It's around 3,000 years old. However, I always mention this, it might be really old, but if you compare it to breeds that have been worked on, it's not as old. It was out of extinction in the early 90s. So from the 90s to now, it's not a long time ago. And in the beginning, we had very few dogs, very few breeders. They were doing a great job trying to rescue the breed. Now the numbers are stable, and now we have to stabilize it and standardize the type. Because I can see dogs from one kennel and say, this is from this kennel. And I'm right because they have their like yeah. trademark. And they're supposed to look the same because, after all, it's a breed. There was an expedition in 1954, and they went into the jungles. And I have pictures that I sent you. They went into the jungles of Mexico and into some of the very remote villages. And I believe it was around Colima. And they traded and captured 12 Sholos. And they were the foundation. Of what we're seeing today. Of what we're seeing now, somewhat. You can say her name better than I. We call her Lassie. Uh, Gia, would you say her actual name? Lassies de Premio Real. (laughs) Yeah, that's the better version. I call her Lassie. (laughs) I call her Lassie too. (laughs) She was on the expedition. She was an FCM judge. Mm And she got hooked on the breed. And she started working with the breed to try to preserve it because it was the breed of her country. When she passed away, a lot of her remaining dogs came up here to the Pacific Northwest to Patty Hoover. Oh, interesting. And these dogs were directly, Patty's dogs and some of the dogs that I have were directly descended from those original Sholos. Meanwhile, on the East Coast, I have been told, so I don't know whether this is hearsay or not, when Sholos were no longer in the American Kennel Club because there were not enough registrations, they formed what was called the Hairless Dog Club. And a lot of the dogs that people had were hairless, but there was no documentation that they were purebred. So, Barb, you just said something that's interesting to me. You said that Sholos were no longer in the American Kennel Club. Were they registered and then went away and then came back? Yes, because there were not enough registrations. They were showing them, time frame wise, I think it was the 50s, but they were called the Mexican Hairless because nobody could say Sholo Eat Sweetly. And they didn't have enough dogs in the registry for the breed to be maintained. So they were kicked out. When I got into the breed in 2000, my goal was to be able to compete with my Sholo. And I wanted to compete in obedience, and then I got hooked on agility. But since they were not recognized, you could not get a PAL or an ILP, and the national club was not 
going to issue that because they were not AKC yet. So I had no means in which to show my dog. And wanting to do so, I did four years of research and I did the registry. And so you brought that back to 50 some odd years later. Right. Patty Hoover and I worked with FCM Mm -hmm. and verified every single dog that went into that registry. We cross-checked with FCM because Patty had the FCM connections Mm -hmm. and I don't speak Spanish very well at all. So that gave us enough dogs through my research to get the breed into the American Kennel Club. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Okay, so let's move into how are they to live with? What are they like as personality? I mean, other than they're hairless, and some people like that and some people don't. So. <laughs> then you can get coated. There the you go. Wonderful dog. You I go. Have we have coated and we have three sizes, so you can choose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have six varieties. Right. They're all shown in the same breed, not broken out. Yes and no, yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's AKC, only at AKC. Elsewhere, they are shown separately. You show your toys with the toys, your standards with the standards, which is very nice because it's really hard to go in catalog order with (laughs) your 65, 70-pound standard and have the toy in front of you. Right, right. So for a show ring, it's a little challenging. Yes. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, folks. 2020 has, to put it mildly, presented some challenges for all of us. You know, the good news, our patrons' numbers are still growing almost daily. I truly, truly cannot thank all of you enough for your support. It's been overwhelming. And for those of you who've had to reassess your budgets, please know I totally get it. And I will always be grateful for your belief in this program and the power of great content. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tack box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Our patrons make all of this possible. The funds are specifically designated only for overhead. They literally keep the MP3s rolling. Meanwhile, the patrons-only After Dark Facebook Live and Zoom meetings each month truly have been a fabulous success. Conversation, support, laughter, some education, some mentorship, lots of encouragement, and even, randomly, the occasional adult beverage. So click the link at www.puredogtalk.com and become a patron today. Your small contribution helps make a huge voice for purebred dogs. So, Gio, I see that you have mostly toys, so talk to us about how their personalities are. They're supposed to be the same as standards, but I feel the standards are more calm because my toys feel like they're big dogs or something. And whenever I had standards over, they're just so calm, so relaxed, and my toys are just like crazy all the time. They're barking all the time. They do bark a lot. 
there's this myth that I see this myth everywhere. People keep saying they don't bark. And I'm like, tell me which cholos don't bark because I need to get those. Because <laughs> they bark a lot. And I was told they only bark when there's a reason. Yeah. A helicopter flies over. A butterfly stretches yeah. its wings. Everything Somebody 60 miles away opens the garage door. They bark. Okay. Okay. So good for people that have allergies if you have a hairless. Unless you are allergic to dog saliva or dander. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm allergic to dogs and I do get a reaction with my shallows. Eh? Not all the time. When I'm showing constantly, I have to give them baths like almost every day because otherwise I'm going to get a reaction. Interesting. I've had all three sizes. I've only had one toy, mini. I've had intermediates and still have two. And I have had four standards. I still have three. I find my favorites are the intermediates. Personality-wise, they're all very similar, but I find my standards are much more territorial and much more protective. Interesting. If I am going someplace at night, I would rather have my standard Sholo with me than my Anatolian Shepherd dog. Yeah. They're very, very territorial. When you walk into my kennel, from the little one on up to the biggest one, they're barking. Yeah. And they're very threatening. Take them out and they're, hi there, how are you? I was a golden retriever in another life. Yeah. Mine are all very friendly, but they're very, very socialized. The key to this breed, because they are primitive, socialization, socialization, socialization. They are not a keep-in-your-backyard dog and then think you're going to take the dog to the park. Right. Gio, you were talking a little bit earlier about bathing yours when you're showing them. So talk to us a little bit about that skincare. I mean, what is that like? And do they need sunscreen and all of those sorts of things? At first, I used to think that they need a lot of lotion, a lot of sunscreen, and a lot of care. And my first dogs were, like, extremely cared for, and the skin was not as good. Mm. eventually I realized that it's also genetic and feeding has a lot to do right and the skin is much better now I don't use as much lotion as I used to and I don't use sunscreen even though I do have spotted dogs they do burn if you let them outside all the time but I have a lot of shades and when I feel the sun is really heavy I bring them indoors they're really easy to take care of You just need to be constant and careful with what you do. Some dogs are allergic to some cleaning products. Mm. But besides that, I don't see an issue with the breed. As long as you're constant in the mains they need. If you leave them wet outside, they're going to burn. They're going to get fungus. But otherwise, they're not as difficult as other breeds, like long hair breeds, for example. I'm very lazy. I don't put sunscreen on. I did one time because we were going to the coast and I was worried about the direct sun. Both dogs broke out horribly. They looked like I dropped acid on them. I never use sunscreen. I very rarely oil them. Once in a while, I will. Quixote, I had him till he was 16 and a half. Patty Hoover said he had the best skin she'd ever seen on a Sholo. He probably had 15 baths in his entire life, maybe only 10. They're very clean. For the show ring, I throw a little hand lotion on them. 
they're groomed. I rarely bathe them. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun to stand next to the old English sheepdog people as they're fluffing or the poodle people in the grooming area. And in one minute, my dog's ready for the ring. Obviously, I keep up. I dremel toenails. I clean teeth. I clean ears. But they're very, very low maintenance. And again, I'm lazy. I have five of them. This year, they've each had hand lotion on them twice. And so talk about how the skin feels. The ones I've felt are almost like leathery. They're not silky to the touch. I mean, for people who haven't actually encountered a Sholo. It depends on the dog. It does. Some dogs do feel like touching people's skin. It's like touching my arm. Mm -hmm. Some dogs are a little bit thick Mm -hmm. and feel weird. But it really depends on the dog, the bloodline. It's pretty genetic, to be honest. Like us, for example, there's people that just use water on their faces and it's perfect. And some others do a huge skincare routine and they break out. It depends on the dog, but they should be smooth and free of scars, of pimples. It varies. Also with age, puppies are soft, but they break out. Mm. They have pimples. So they get like little pimples. They get acne. Okay. And then they outgrow it. The big key is good quality food. I think that's the biggest thing. And each dog feels different, but they're very smooth, almost like a chamois. I mean, just a very, very smooth. It feels like fine leather. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And their skin is very tough. Veterinarians have to not freak out when the needle bends when they get a shot. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's really funny because my vet keeps telling me, oh, my God, your dogs are so thick. I'm like, I'm sorry. That is interesting. You've got to really push that needle in. So your veterinarian has to learn that. Their hide's pretty tough. The other thing is if they get a cut, a scrape, in three days, it's black again. Mm. Totally filled in. And talk a little bit about, I want to hit a couple more things here. Colors, they come in a pretty wide variety or they're pretty much what they are? No, we have lots of colors. And actually, it's funny because I'm working on a database and I keep seeing dogs registered as black or bronze. That's it. But we have brindle, we have black and tan, we have spotted dogs, straight color. We have a lot of colors. However, in the hairless, it's kind of hard to see some colors. Like blue, it's difficult to see. Merle is difficult to see. Black and tan, sometimes you cannot see it on hairless. And Brindle, you cannot see in her list all the time. You can see in some dogs or when they're newborn. But that's really interesting because we have a wide variety of colors. And people keep focusing in only two. Right. Interesting. I don't think I've ever seen anything but black or bronze. Maybe a spotted one once. My first coated boy is a tri. He's black, tan, and white. But he has a collar with black ticking. And everybody thinks that he is an Australian cattle dog mix. And he finished his championship very, very easily. I had somebody take him in as a special. And one judge ran over to check the book to see what was in his ring. (laughs) And it's the coloring. Yeah. Right. And so talk a little bit about, Barb, you mentioned earlier 
They can be challenging to train. <laughs> Each of you give me some ideas on that for people that want to have these for their companions. I assume on leash is an important piece of this. Well, I tell people you have to be a benevolent dictator. <laughs> they are exceedingly sensitive. They do not respond to physical correction. They shut down very easily. They are very sighthoundy in personality, and people will argue about them and sighthounds. But having bred sighthounds, having had borzois and wolfhounds, and lived in the sighthound community, mm-hmm. they train like a sighthound. They will work their hearts out for you for treats. <laughs> they need praise. If they make a mistake, they shut down. So, for example, miss a weave pull entry, make him redo. They went, oh, my gosh, I made a mistake. I quit. So you have to do a lot of encouraging. But in turn, you have to be firm because they will control. They will run the show. I'm an obedience trainer. So I deal with all kinds of dogs and even have had wolf hybrids in class. And I have been training, running obedience classes since I was a small child in 1966. So I have gone through thousands of dogs. We have border collies because we have sheep. The Sholos are so much more intelligent than border collies. They are the most intelligent dog I have ever worked with. That's not always a plus. They have use of their fingers, and they use them. (laughs) I got a new baby gate. It was spring-loaded. The three Sholos, Quixote, Balche, and Quetzal, were not happy with the baby gate. When Sholos want to go through something, they grab it and pull. Most dogs push. They use those fingers. They grab it and pull. Mm. So they ran their little Sholo hands up and down the baby gate. And Quixote grabbed and pulled. Balche went to the opening and stood there. Quetzal leaped Balche. Quixote leaped Balche. Balche took off. Three Sholos running amok in the house. Yeah. They do doorknobs. Yes. They do cupboards. When they want to open a door, they'll reach underneath or they'll reach in and they'll pull it. They are brilliant. Gio, give me your thoughts on this. That happened to me as well because someone suggested me a baby gate. They were like, you have toys. You can use a baby gate. I'm like, that's a great idea. So I got it. They jumped over it. Oh, yeah. And when I go to shows, my X-Men is really tall. And people are like, why do you have this huge thing? You have toys. I'm like, you want to see? So I just walk away. All three of them jump over. <laughs> They're very smart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They can leap like gazelles. And Lorenzo, I love him, but he is quite something. He pushed the X-Men because I was limiting the area because he likes to pee on everything. So I was limiting the area where he was, and I went to the store that's around the corner. So I went outside, and I came back, and all the dogs were inside. He jumped over, pushed the X-Pen, and let the dogs out. He's so smart. And they can grasp things. Their toes are that flexible. Yeah. Yes. In the motorhome, I have crates set up, and I have hanging dishes. And I would put their food in after showing. Chica would reach through 
to the other dog's crate, grab a handful of food, drop it down, and then eat it. <laughs> oh, that is crazy talk. And our wow. mantra is you got to be smarter than the Sholo, and unfortunately, most of us aren't. Yeah, to be honest, yeah, I, I had to do a lot of things to keep Lorenzo in one place because he's so smart and he jumps and he loves to steal food. So, yeah, you have to be creative and smarter, and sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> they do actually want to please. Food is a great motivator. I am currently working on a unique concept called Come, because I'm very tired of Olay, who I'm just starting in competition in agility, running over to put his feet up and say hi to the people at the score table, wrapping his paws around the judge and hugging her, while I'm yelling, Olay, 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 come! And it wasn't happening. So I'm working them on a long line, and I'm doing a lot of reward. And I'm on day four, and I didn't have to use any pops, and I don't pop hard. But I didn't have to use any pops this morning on either Olay or Jaguar. And they're responding, they're coming, they're getting treats. So a lot of positive. And yes, there's a correction. They did get pops on the long line. Not hard, just enough to let them know that they needed to come. So you have to work things like that. Yeah, they're very picky, to be honest. I taught one of my sholas to do a handstand. She learned in two days. But later on, when I was trying to show everybody this new trick that she learned, she was like, seriously, now? Sorry. And she just left. <laughs> so they're very picky. If they're not in the mood to train, then you give them some space and try it again later on. Yeah. They don't push. I love that. They are manipulative. <laughs> they're amazing athletes. Absolutely amazing I had a situation where I was in the agility ring, a winged jump, a jump ahead of it. So it was a trap jump. So dog came over and he was, his body was heading by the layout straight for the other jump. The dog had to make a sharp left turn and go into the weave poles. I'm running around the jump, trying to get around the wing. I have told him to jump. He was in the air and committed to the jump ahead of him. I screamed, weave. He turned in midair, dropped into the entry of the weaves, and nailed it. And that was his first double Q. Wow. Very, very cool. They can turn in midair. Literally, yeah. I wanted to mention something really fast that I think it's the primitive side of them that makes them really smart and like agile. Mm. Because a primitive dog wouldn't survive if he wasn't smart enough. So I think that's why they're that way. They're picky, smart, really agile. They're just amazing. And tough because they had to, you know, like live. <laughs> <laughs> And health-wise, how are they just generally healthy other than maybe some skin stuff? What are they like health-wise for folks? They're healthy, but I don't think we did enough research. The breed is healthy. However, I've seen some stuff. Not in a big population of dogs, just like some low numbers that I personally don't feel are significant. Like 
for example, epilepsy, I only have three registrations of epilepsy because I'm trying to gather the information. I have the information of around 6,000 dogs. Right. So I'm trying to do some research to understand what's in the breed, what's not in the breed. So right now, we don't have specific diseases of the breed other than the usual fungus that they can have, some allergies, but it's not something typical. We do have hip dysplasia and patellar luxation, but also it's not something significant. Right. So we still need to do more research, do more health tests. Here in Mexico, it's not as common to do so. They're quite new. I'm the only one doing DNA tests in Embark here in Mexico. And I'm trying to push it and show everybody, hey, this is something good. So I already convinced three breeders they're going to do it. And they do hip dysplasia, though. They're trying to do more and more every day. So I think we do need to encourage people, breeders, owners, and exhibitors to do more testing so we can know what's part of the breed, what's not part of the breed, and work for it. I love that. Yeah, very, very cool. It's all pretty new, and there has not been enough health testing, so we really don't have solid data. I lost one at 16 and a half, and that was cancer. I recently, in March, lost Quetzal. He was a week short of 16, and basically he just collapsed, and there wasn't too much we could do. Old age. Yeah, he was old. Balche was only 12, and he had sudden kidney failure. I attribute it to something that happened at a vet school, which damaged his kidneys because of the medication they gave him. Chica, I lost in January. She was a little over 13, and she had had fibrosarcoma two years before that. Mm -hmm. So I believe that it was probably cancer. Mm -hmm. So just typical dogs. Random dog stuff, right? Yeah. I have an old lady. She's 15. She has cancer. She just had her quinceanera. I did a cake and everything. (laughs) Besides the cancer, she's doing fine, but it's just a typical dog thing that can happen to any dog, even mixes. Right, right. Absolutely. Okay, well, you guys, we are up against our deadline of time. I am so, so grateful for you guys to share such fabulous stories about this amazing breed. So thank you. I really appreciate your time. This has been awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. And for talking about the Sholo, we do need more people to know about them. And actually, I do hear your um, dog talk. I forgot the word in English, sorry. Pure dog talk, yes. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I wish they did the Sholo. (laughs) Who could have done that? I'm going to write them. And who could be the person that talks there? And it's so funny when Barbara told me, hey, do you want to do this? And I'm like, oh, yes, let's do this. So thank you so much for inviting me for, to both of you. And we're talking about the Sholos. And they are great companions. They're fabulous in dog sports. They're good in barn hunt. They are excellent in agility. They do very well in obedience and rally. All they need is somebody with that passion, and they'll work their hearts out for you. Yeah, they're amazing. They're really amazing. I do suggest if someone wants to get one to do research, to 
to go to a good breeder because we have a lot of backyard breeders. We have puppy mills. We even have people that's buying guns from Mexico and selling them more expensive in the States and without any health test or anything. So I do recommend to go to someone that's ethical, that's serious, that's actually working for the breed because we already have a lot of people just breeding to sell dogs. And I don't think it's right if we want to preserve this breed. Absolutely. Right. And it's not fair for what you get either because you get dogs that are out of unsocialized parents. And on our list, you see people all the time with problems and the dogs are out of very poor breeding. And so nobody wins on that. So it's very important to go to the breeders list, find out who is reputable and research, research, research. That's what I did when I got my first registered one was I did about two years of research to decide where I wanted to go. Awesome. Perfect. All right, you guys. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad you guys could join me. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.